Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Is this the nightcap? Yo, this is Patrick. Is this the nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Nightcap. No! This is Patrick! Time now for the Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. What's up? First Nightcap of the week. I'm excited. There's stuff happening. There's been lots of football stuff. Even some hockey. I will take any reason possible to be able to talk hockey. And apparently Rasmus just a line in. Gave me that chance over the weekend. So, we'll get into that. The Antonio Brown saga. Tom Brady wanting to play till 100. And looking forward to the Bills preseason game number two on Friday against the Panthers on Friday. What's up? Jody Biasi here on the Nightcap on WGR. You can call in at 716-803-0550 per usual if you want to get in on the conversation. 55550 is the text line, always scouring that, or on Twitter at Sneaky Joe WGR. So, right into the Antonio Brown stuff, right? I mean, <laughs> Hard Knocks is going to be great. I, is Hard Knocks tomorrow? I think it's Wednesday, actually. Um, I can't wait for Hard Knocks now. It's going to be like a true test, isn't it, of whether or not that is really a look and uh, a, a look into what training camp is actually like. Wednesday, I, th- I think if it's Wednesday, will be a real test if that's really how it is and not, you know, edited down and ma- made sure that the team is okay with it and the team is happy with it, not a watered-down version of what we're really getting. Now, I'll give Bills Embedded a lot of credit for this this uh, most recent Season Because last year, that's kind of how it felt to me. A lot of watered-down stuff. They didn't really show you the stuff that you were really looking for, right? The -the behind-the-scenes stuff. It was just, you know, the speeches and the players' stories, which is all well and nice, and you want that. But you also want some of the other stuff, too, that you really don't get otherwise. That's why you're going to these these mediums, to see it. And this year, I thought the Bills gave you some of that. Now, they still weren't going to show you... The any locker room fights, if any would have ever happened. I'm not saying any did, but if they did, you probably wouldn't have seen it in Bills Embedded, right? Well, isn't that supposed to be the difference with Hard Knocks? Hard Knocks is supposed to be, all right, if the coach and GM are getting into it behind the scenes at training camp, we're going to see it. If two players start throwing haymakers on the field, we're going to see it. And Hard Knocks... If that's really how they are, if that's really how they're supposed to operate, then what we're going to see in the next episode is all of this Antonio Brown stuff. John Gruden getting mad because he doesn't know where he is. I mean, I'm mad John Gruden's always going to be entertaining in the first place. But over this stuff, frozen what? He froze his feet? Like, can you imagine the scene where 
someone tells John Gruden why Antonio Brown's not practicing cryotherapy, him trying to understand what that even is. Like, that, oh, I'm here for that. I want that. But I'm not quite sure we're actually going to get it. Because if I'm the Raiders, and I'm already not happy that I'm doing this, which most teams seemingly aren't when they have to do hard knocks, then they're going to be pushing really hard for all that stuff to be cut out. So we'll see. We'll see if it all gets cut out. I'm hoping it doesn't because there is so much going on. This Mike Silver thread from Friday about Brown, and he's he's in coaching meetings. He's not paying attention. He's checking his bank accounts and his, his Instagram. And the fact that his helmet is the, the old school helmet, it's painted to look like the Raiders helmet, but it's not a, an officially painted helmet. Like he had someone do it for him. So it's a little off. Like the logo is not quite the same as what it's supposed to be. So he's kind of used using like a homemade helmet. And then any like teammates talking about him or like someone's talking. Someone's talking to Mike Silver about this. It seems like it's coming from the organization. That's how when we had Sal on Sports Talk Saturday, that's what that was his guess. That seems like something that would come from the organization. So maybe there's some stuff going on behind the scenes with Mike Mayock, and I'm hoping we get to see that. And I'm part of me can't not be happy that it's not happening here because it so easily could have been happening here. They traded for him. They did. Like, it was going to happen. I came in here on a weekday night. I forgot what day of the week it was. The Sabres were playing. I wasn't really watching the game. I get a text from Brian Koziel. I think he knew I was going to be right around the corner. He's like, you want to come in for this Brown trade? Like, co-host with me? And I'm not plugged in. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not looking at social media. I have no idea what he's talking about. It wasn't official yet, so I hadn't yet got a notification from the station that it had happened. So I'm like, what is he talking about? What Brown trade? I'm like, who did the Sabres trade for? What Brown? Did they just trade for... Uh, uh, see, I'm not really plugged into the NHL right now. You can tell because I don't have a hockey player with the last name Brown ready to go off the top of my head. JT Brown. Did they trade for him? Like, I don't know. So I quickly checked Twitter. There's that Ian Rappaport tweet. And I'm like, what? No way. Couldn't believe it. And immediate excitement because that's the type of idea I always liked. The, I, the, I always liked the Bills for that. That swinging big for a big wide receiver. Brown was never the guy I thought they'd do it for. I thought, you know, maybe Beckham could be it because they had the connection with Gettleman where he was the GM of Carolina while Bean worked under him, so maybe they could figure that out. A.J. Green seemed like he should have been available. He was always the name I went to pretty quickly there. And then there's Brown, who was arguably the best receiver in football, but had quit on his team. I'd never given serious thought that the Bills would really chase him. So I see that, and I'm th- immediate thoughts are coming into my head like, all right, Bean did it. He, he did the thing that he needed to do. Get a bona fide number one wide receiver for his young quarterback. He took the big swing. He took a risk on character, which we really hadn't seen a lot of evidence from yet, that, hey, the Bills, I know they like to say that it's not all choir boys, and I, I, I get that. That's definitely true, but... They're not the team you would think of first in the NFL that would take a chance on a guy because of character reasons or because of locker room reasons in the name of talent. They never strike, they didn't strike you as that team, right? They didn't strike me as that team. And that's why I never thought about the Brown thing seriously. 
So I was immediately thinking about that. And, you know, looking back right now, part of me, of course, as I just said, very happy this is not happening here. I mean, the guy, I don't even think it's just a helmet thing. He's, I think, reached a point in his career. I'll play the Jeff Darlington sound. He, he did an interview with ESPN's Jeff Darlington a couple months ago where he made a comment like, this is, you know, I don't need to play football anymore. I don't need the game. I'm the boss now. It's going to be my way or I'm not playing. And that's kind of how this is all gone, right? The Steelers, he wasn't 100% healthy. So he kind of sits out for Pittsburgh. He, they, uh, he gets in a run-in with Ben Roth. He doesn't play with Roethlisberger anymore. So, all right, so you got to trade me. Then he gets the. Then they want to trade him to Buffalo. Nope, you're not trading me there. I'm not going to play there. Then he goes to Oakland. Well, I'm only going there if they pay me this amount of money. I want $30 million guaranteed. So they say, okay, we do that. And you really can't fault him too much, can you? Now you have to a little bit because he is, in a way, being a petulant child. Like, that's happening. He's, he's whining and crying every time he doesn't get his way. But the thing is, how can you blame him fully when everyone's enabling him to do it? And that might have been my argument if he was here right now with the Bills. It's like, yeah, he's stirring up all this drama. He doesn't want to play with this helmet. He wants to play for only this amount of money. He doesn't want to play here. He doesn't want to play here. But when... Pittsburgh gives him what he wants, a trade. When Pittsburgh gives him what he wants again, not a trade to Buffalo, and the Bills give him that in turn. When Oakland gives him what he wants, the money. You know, over and over and over, if you cry and whine about what you want and you keep getting it, you're going to keep doing it, aren't you? And that's what he tried to do here. Even if it was a minor thing, a helmet. He threatened to retire. We'll see. He's not. He, I bet you he threatens to retire over something else again. So, part of me's happy that's not happening here. But I still, even though it probably wouldn't have worked out because of his character and because it just wouldn't have lasted long, he didn't want to be here in the first place. I still want to give the Bills a certain amount of credit for trying that on, for chasing that idea of, yeah, he's a bit of a loose cannon. I don't know what's going on with the blonde mustache. He's a little bit off his rocker at the moment. He's getting into it with Juju Smith-Schuster on Twitter. Not even getting into it with him. He's just kind of blasting Juju for nothing. Like, he's getting into it with teammates. He's bad-mouthing other guys. We get it. But he might be the best receiver in football. And we want to throw the football. And we have a young quarterback that he think we think he could be better a better weapon than we could otherwise get. So we're going to do it, and we're going to try to do it. I want to give them a certain amount of credit for trying that. Because they did try it. They came this close to getting that deal done. Really, it sounds like all it would have took was Brown's desire to play here. And he would be a Buffalo Bill today. Now, part of me, by giving them that sort of credit, wants to think... That if that type of situation comes around again, that the Bills, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, will go for that too. Doesn't that make sense? Best receivers on the market. He's got character issues. You don't really know what's going on with him. You want him, He's demanding a ton of money. He's even a little old for what you probably want for that. And they went for it. Wouldn't that make you think that if that situation comes about again, that they would go for it again? Because I would want them to do that. 
Part of me thinks yes, and part of me thinks no. If you trust some of the reporting that came out right when Odell Beckham was being traded. I don't remember who it was. It might have been a Giants reporter. Um, I don't remember. But someone reported that when the Giants were looking to trade Odell Beckham, who if you if you break down what he was as a trade idea versus Brown, yeah, he hasn't been as efficient. But he's younger by four years, I think, three or four years. Beckham's 27, Brown's 30. Might even be 31 at this point. Beckham's more talented. He's not as crisp a route runner. Brown certainly gets more separation for his tools. But Beckham is probably the most talented football football player in the league. And he's certainly the most talented receiver in the league. So he has that on his side. He's already paid. He's under, under contract. You don't have to worry about that part. I mean, you have to pay him big, but you don't have to worry about renegotiating that. And you have the connection with Dave Gettleman, who was your former boss. And the reporting on that was that Beckham's available, Gettleman calls the Bills, and the Bills aren't interested. Now, why would that be? Because if you were willing to go in on Brown, Beckham, I mean, he's got some character stuff, but the guy didn't quit on his team. That's for damn sure. He didn't do that. I mean, when we're talking about Beckham and character stuff, it's yeah, he's a bit of a drama queen, he's a bit of a diva, but most a lot of star receivers are. He's getting into fights with the with the net on the sidelines. Ooh, big whoop. He's taking a picture on a boat. And then by the way, everyone wants to forget. You look at how he performed in that Packer game. He was unbelievable. Eli just kept throwing it 10 yards over his head. So it really didn't even matter to him in how he performed in that game, but that's always a thing that comes up with him. It wasn't real stuff with Beckham. It was real stuff with Brown. Quitting on your team. Demanding a new contract. Demanding a trade. Plus the age. And the Bills didn't want to go for Beckham as an idea. Now maybe that was because it would have cost more. Because that certainly would have been the case. What did Cleveland pay? They paid a first round pick. And... A good young safety. Jabril Peppers. That's probably the biggest difference. I'd have to think. And I hope that that's the case. Because Brown goes for a third and a fifth to Oakland. Whereas Beckham goes for a first round pick and a good young safety. I'm not giving up nine overall. I'm not giving up Ed Oliver and Jordan Poyer for Beckham. I love Beckham. He's my favorite receiver in the league. To watch. His hands... His speed, his ability to cut on a dime and make anybody, he make any corner look dumb. Love to watch him, but I'm not giving you Jordan Poyer and Ed Oliver for him. Especially when those guys are on cheaper contracts. So maybe that's the reason the Bills didn't go in on it. But all of this Brown stuff is kind of bringing him back up, and I want to continue to think that, you know, the Bills wanted that headache because he was so good. And that is something they have not done a lot of, and that makes me a bit optimistic that if another player like him comes around where he is just a freakish talent, uh, one of the best at his position in the league, especially on offense like Brown was, and that, yeah, if he might cause you a bit of a headache, that this team, 
that this locker room will be willing to put up with it, will will have a strong enough locker room to embrace that and to not fall apart because of it, and take all that on because the player is so good. That's the goal for your team. That's the goal if you really want to talk about all this culture stuff. Which, you know, I don't think it's that important. I think it's maybe important to sustaining a winning team. I don't think it's going to make a winning team by any means. But it could definitely sustain one. That's kind of what's happening with Pittsburgh now, isn't it? They're kind of fracturing. Because their coach runs a loose ship. And their quarterback's always bad-mouthing his receivers. And, you know, the running back situation happened with Le'Veon Bell. See, remember the linemen were getting into it with the running backs? Like, they run a type of team where they had their offensive linemen bad-mouthing Le'Veon Bell the first day he wasn't there. <laughs> so, that's not the Bills. But what's the end goal? What's the end goal for that? For that culture? And really, to me, it's what New England is. What they've perfected. Belichick and Brady and the whole thing there is built so that they can take on big talents like Randy Moss or even, you know, a lot of them that didn't work like Chad Johnson or was he Ocho Cinco at the time? You know what I'm talking about. Or Albert Hainsworth. They can take on players like that who are labeled as risks. Josh Gordon most recently. But the culture and everything around those guys is so strong that they can come in and out the door, and if it doesn't work, you know, it doesn't work, and they don't care. They don't take a hit. Didn't Reggie Wayne come in there for a hot minute at a training camp, and he's like, I'm out of here. I don't want any part of this. They just keep going. And I know they have the best quarterback of all time and the best coach of all time, arguably. So it's a, it's a bit of a unique circumstance there. But to me... If another Brown comes around, I think I just want the Bills to be in on it. And I don't want them to get scared off because they might think to themselves, like Brandon Bean might be sitting back in his office right now watching all this unfold with Antonio Brown and thinking to himself, man, I'm glad that didn't work out. And I hope, though, that he's not also sitting there thinking, if that co- I'm not going to do that again. It's some, it's sometimes it's worth the risk for a guy that's that talented. And I don't think Oakland, I don't think it's going to work out, but it has nothing to do with Antonio Brown to me. Because on the field, he gets on the field, he's going to be great. As long as his feet are okay. I know they're frozen. But I think he's going to be okay. He's going to be great. You know why they're going to stink? Because their offensive line stinks. Because their quarterback's not that good. Because their coach doesn't seem to know what he's doing. And because their defense isn't that good. And I wonder... What everyone's gonna be like? Oh, Antonio Brown—he fractured the locker room. No, no, not really. They just kind of aren't that good. It's a reason they had to go out and sign all these, um, these these low-priced risk veterans who are getting suspended, like Richie Incognito and Vontas Perfect. Like, there's a reason they needed to 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 get guys like that that are not just character questions, but they get suspended, so they're not available to you. Why do they need that? Because they don't really have a lot of depth there. They don't have a lot of talent. So, I think it also would have worked better here than it would have in Oakland. Even though I don't think Allen is quite at the level of Derek Carr, he can certainly achieve that level this season. And, like I said, I think the Bills are at the point where they have a locker room that could have took that on. Oakland 
I, I don't know how you can think they, they have one of those right now. Watch Hard Knocks. You can see it. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. We'll take some of your calls after the break. 803-0550. We've got a couple open phone lines. We'll get you right on after this. You can text us too, 550-550, or tweet at me at SneakyJoeWGR. Coming up in just a little bit, an interesting guest that the morning show had on today that I had never heard of before, but he said a lot of interesting stuff on not just the Bills, Josh Allen, but the game, where it's going, and where some coaches are kind of missing the mark with some pretty easy stuff that you should be able to see. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. Thanks for listening here on WGR. Depends on the player. Every year is different. Uh, but, you know, am I ready if I have to? Yes. Um, my mindset is every week is prepare um, to, to get ready to go out there and compete at a high level for my team, um, no matter if it's one snap or two series or one quarter or if I don't play. Um, and if I don't play, I stay locked in and try to be the leader that I can um, to, to keep the energy and the vibes good on the sideline. That is Saquon Barkley, the running back for the New York Giants. The Bills play him and the G-Men week two. Daniel Jones looked really good in the preseason opener. I think he only had one drive, but he went like 5 of 5, 67 yards, a beautiful touchdown against the Jets. Um, you know, it's probably been overstated that he stinks. Isn't that the feeling? That he's just going to be a flaming joke? That the Giants had no clue what they were doing when they picked him sixth overall? Now... Two things could have could, are really the case here. One, he's probably not that bad. He might be. He definitely could be. But what's the biggest reason for the hate? It's not necessarily the prospect. If he went in the second round, like, you know who you're not hearing jokes made about right now? Drew Locke in Denver. Second round pick, early second round pick. And he might end up being okay. He might be, end up being better than Daniel Jones. But... To me, I think the pick has been more of the joke than Jones has. But, he, you know, he'll get lumped into it just on sheer that's just instinct. That happened here with in hockey with, uh, with Robin Leonard. The Sabres paid a first-round pick for him. The trade was a joke. That didn't mean Leonard was. But he would always get grouped into that. And he never got the benefit of the doubt because of it, even though he had... A very good save percentage during his time with the Sabres. Better than Carey Price, for instance. And eh, it's part of that same thing's going on with Daniel Jones. Now, if he was a late first, early second round type of player, that still makes the pick a, a, an embarrassment. You pick a guy sixth overall. I mean, that would have been like if the Bills, where were they? when uh, what, The EJ year. Were they ninth or eighth? Maybe they were eighth when the Rams came up to trade up for Tavon Austin. The Bills traded down to 16 and drafted E.J. Manuel, and even that was probably a little high because most people had him as a second or third rounder. Did you imagine they just done it at nine? And said, okay, yeah, we could get, well, they end up getting an extra second round pick, but we're just going to go ahead and do this now because we don't want to risk it at all. Even if, it's a, even if it's a 1% chance that someone will take him between here and 16, we're not going to take it. And that's what it feels like the Giants did. They could have moved down pretty far, seemingly, and still picked Jones. He goes sixth. The the next team that was really had a shot at him was the Redskins at 15, I think. And 
if you did any work on who on who they were, were liking, it seemed like Haskins was always their guy. So, bad job by the Giants with that pick. But that does not mean Daniel Jones will be terrible. He could, but you never know. Also, some, uh, you know, maybe he ends up playing against the Bills week two. That's the thing to keep an eye on because, as I've stated, there is a possibility of the Bills playing nine first- or second-year quarterbacks. That's dependent on Rosen, of course, in Miami, Daniel Jones with the Giants, and it's trending towards that's being more that's more and more likely, it seems like, every day that's going on with the Giants. That's week two. Then, of course, we're still waiting on uh, to see what happens in Denver, how their season progresses. They don't play the Bills till late. That could be Drew Locke by then. And then with, uh, with Washington... Haskins, who I think was a little inconsistent in his preseason opener. I didn't really see it, but that's what I read. So there's not a lot for him to leap over Case Keenum and uh, and Colt McCoy, but there should be enough time, I think, in between now and when the Bills play Washington for Haskins to be playing that game too. All right, 803-0550 is the phone number if you want to get in on this. We were talking to Antonio Brown, but I want an interesting listen from earlier today on the Bills, Josh Allen, and also some other tendencies the coaches really aren't keeping up with in the sport right now with football. Nate Weller from Sports Info Solutions with Alan Howard and Jeremy this morning. If you missed this, this is a good listen, so stay tuned. Here is Nate Weller with the guys. Nate Weller is going to join us, research associate for Sports Info Solutions, metrics and sports. And Nate had a piece up recently about Josh Allen breaking down his 2018 season, and he's joining us right now. Nate, it's Howard and Jeremy. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on with us today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. So before we get into the details of the piece that you have, um, what was what's the angle? Was it a were you looking at anything specific uh, when you decided to break down Josh's season, or was it a, just a general overview of how 2018 went? So it was a little bit of both. So I kind of took a look at a lot of the things that were talking points for him last year. Uh, so obviously the accuracy comes up, and then all of the athleticism in the rushing came up as well. Uh, but then I kind of tried to look at it through the lens of what we can expect from him going forward, looking for some signs of things they were doing well coming down the stretch last year when he was looking a little bit better, um, and just general signs of what I think they can do to help him out moving forward and maybe what we can expect from him you know, moving into his second year now. All right, before we go forward, let's go back. And, in, yes, the accuracy is always a discussion with him. What did, what did everything find? What did you find? I know you broke it down short range, intermediate, deep balls. What did you find with Josh Allen when it came to all the accuracy? Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty much what you would expect, you know, coming out. It, it was really talked about that he wasn't accurate. Um, I would say close to the line of scrimmage, so within 10 yards, he actually fared pretty well, uh, right around the league average, which is good. I know there was a lot of concern that, you know, some of what appeared to be the easier routes were actually the ones that he struggled with. Uh, that wasn't as much the case as we might have expected last year. Uh, but then on throws between 10 and 20 yards and, and 20 plus, he was pretty close to dead last in terms of throwing the ball on target. Uh, which was tough, especially because he had a tendency last year to air it out, um, notably right towards the top of the league in terms of average depth of throw and air yards and stuff. So that's definitely something we'll have to focus on and, and hopefully get better at going forward. Yeah, and I, I think going forward we, we'll tie in uh, John Brown and Cole Beasley in a moment to that. Um, I know you also you had mentioned, not surprisingly, when it comes to rookie quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, typically they're better um, in structured plays than going off script, so to speak. And, and, and your breakdown showed that he was pretty good when he was running the scripted portion of the plays from Dable? Yeah, definitely. So that, that was actually really interesting to me because obviously last year Dable was game planning for a whole bunch of different quarterbacks, and uh, Allen took up most of the snaps with the twos and threes in training camp. Um, and so it's hard to really say how much Dable was able to build around Allen specifically 
So I thought it would be interesting to kind of look at those first 15 plays as almost a proxy of uh, how well Dable and Allen are working together. Um, and, and Allen did show some huge jumps looking at the first 15 plays um, using IQR, which is our uh, independent quarterback rating, which is uh, on the same scale as quarterback rating, but kind of also accounts for dropped passes, dropped interceptions, things like that. So it really accounts for, uh, tries to account for everything that's within the quarterback's control. And he actually is about 20 points better looking at the first 15 plays versus the rest of the game and things like his EPA per attempt and even just like the basics, like completion percentage, touchdown to interception ratio. Everything was way better looking at the first 15, which I I think is a good sign for Dable that he seemed to be playing, uh, calling the plays well for Allen. Um, but obviously he was in a tough spot last year, pretty much, like, like I said, rotating past the quarterbacks pretty much every week. So he was, he was in a tough spot. You know, you made a couple of interesting points. We'll get to the going forward portion. You do point out in your piece you know, they've overhauled the offensive line. They've brought in some new receivers. And, and in terms of Brian Dable and how he structures the playbook this year, knowing he's got Allen from day one, you brought up the idea of what more RPOs and maybe some more screen passes. They really didn't throw a lot of screen passes last year, which could have been a function of their offensive line. Yeah, definitely. So that's one thing, and we were talking about his accuracy, and I think one way that one thing that will help Allen a lot is it's getting a lot more of those easy passes, get some of our playmakers in space. And I think we saw a bit more of that last year once they brought in guys like McKenzie uh, and Foster and they started running some more creative, uh, even like jet sweep passes and using motion and kind of trying to scheme those guys open. And I think that's something I would expect to see a lot more of this year um, since we've kind of seen that change to more of the smaller shift-year guys who can kind of make plays in space. How much – one of the things you pointed out in your breakdown, uh, Nate Weller with us, by the way, Research Associate Sports Info Solutions, you said one area where Josh Allen really needs to improve is beating man coverage. What, what are the, um, the additions of Brown and Beasley uh, and their separation stats? How much do you think that could help Josh in that particular area in year two? I think it's going to be a huge help. Um, the one thing my boss actually says is that wide receivers beat man and quarterback beat zone. And so what the Bills have really done is they went and got some guys they think can get separation. And last year there was a lot of talk about Benjamin not being able to create separation. He's got this big catch radius. And then we all kind of saw how that went uh, using what we call yards after catch for contact, which is a, a metric we use that um, essentially looks to see how much separation these guys are getting. And Benjamin actually ranked dead last. Uh, the Bills receivers as a whole were 26th in the league. Um, so Brown and Beasley are just going to represent huge upgrades in that department, and I think it's going to really help out Allen. Uh, and I think I saw a quote from Beasley the other day even saying it himself, that if, you know, if you're a couple yards ahead of your defender, there's a way bigger window and more margin of error for the quarterback getting the ball to you, and I think it's going to help him a ton because he, he didn't fare well against man last year. And you think because of his running ability that we'd see more RPOs this year? Yeah, I think so, because he, he did a lot of his running out of like on scrambles last year, um, and I think teams are going to be ready for that, so I think they're going to have to get a little bit more creative in terms of how they use his legs. You know, I, I wanted to get you on, Nate, because, uh, mostly because of Josh Allen, but there are a couple things I wanted to bring up, and one of them, one of the other pieces I saw that you wrote about, you had done a piece about the quarterback sneak being underutilized, and Jeremy, mm-hmm. you'll like this part. In that piece, in that breakdown, you brought up the idea of short yardage running, uh, fourth down and short, so forth and so on, and um, my partner constantly talks about the big people. You know, you bring in double tight ends, you bring in the fullback, maybe you make a bring in an extra offensive lineman. What you're doing is you're not necessarily making your run play succeed more, but you're drawing defense more guys on defense into the box. And I thought that was interesting. You brought up one of those points in your in your piece about the quarterback sneak being underutilized. 
Yeah, definitely. So you're right on that. Uh, we kind of did what we called like offensive men in the box. You talked about on the defensive side how many guys they're bringing in. Um, and what we did is essentially counting like tight ends, linemen, fullbacks, and all of that. And it was a pretty pretty linear relationship that the more guys you brought in in short yardage, the less likely you were. Because um, like you said, you start bringing in tight ends and extra linemen and fullbacks, then the defense can just – they don't have to worry about it as much, and they can just stack the box on you. Um, it just makes it way tougher. Um, and then, like you said, the quarterback sneak, it's got by far the highest success rate when you're looking at one or less to go, and it seems like teams are really reluctant to use it for whatever reason. So, um, that's yeah, it's, it's really interesting to look at that stuff. feels like sometimes it's even good on two yards to go. If you get up there quick enough, the Patriots, I feel like I've watched them do third and two sneaks with Brady, get six, seven yards at a time. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, really, any short yardage, it's, it's I want to say high 80s when you're using quarterback sneak and then high 60s when you're using your running back. So, not even really close, so uh, it's it's crazy. Me, the teams aren't using it more. The last thing I want to ask you about, Nate, uh, the big off-season news with the league was the changing of or the addition of the PI challenge rule, and yep. you also had a piece where you did the impact of different penalties on scoring and the and games and everything. And um, long and short of it is the the two biggest penalties were defensive pass interference and offensive pass interference. So, do you think you, is there any way to tie in your study on the penalties? And what might happen this season with the new rule about pass interference, how that might change things? Yeah, so what we did is um, when we saw the rule change was coming, we did some, some research. And, and like you said, they were they really did stand out in terms of how impactful they are in the game. And it, it makes sense. You think about it, uh, most penalties at most are 15 yards. And then you get these pass interference calls where you can get 40, 45 yards if you're chucking the ball down the field. So I think from that perspective, it, it warranted the change in rules. But for me, it, you know, the, the worry being that the way they wrote the rules, there's a lot of subjectivity in it still. and So I'm not sure how well they're going to be able to do it, but I, I at least understand the move purely from an empirical standpoint. If you want to read his work, you can follow Nate on Twitter, at Nate Weller, two E's, two L's, two R's. He is a research associate for Sports Info Solutions. Nate, thanks for giving us some of your time this morning. Appreciate it. Enjoyed reading your yeah. stuff. Yeah, thank you very much. There he is, Nate Weller. You know he's a smart guy when he uses the word linear, right? Only, like, really smart people use the word linear, I feel like. I'm trying to add it to my vocabulary more, not even really because I know what it means all the time. Just, I feel like it makes you sound smarter. Linear. It's one of those words. Empirical, even, right at the end. Um, good listen there from Nate, if you missed any part of that, on demand at WGR550.com. As are uh, some other stuff, Corey Majors, talking dolphins. Um, that's on demand. You could also listen to... Uh, Sal Capaccio, I'm with Chopin the Bulldog earlier. A little update from Spartanburg, South Carolina. And our full hours as well. It's also available on the radio.com app. All right, I'm going to take a time out here. I want to get a little bit into what happened with Ristolainen over the weekend. The interview he gave in Finland or to a Finnish site. And, you know, he's trying to pull a Ryan O'Reilly, I think, here. And I want him traded, but not for that reason. I'll explain more after the break. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Risto's a very proud player. He wants to be on the ice all the time. He wants to be in a situation where he's in offense. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Zones opportunities where he can help create off- offense opportunities, but he also wants to play against other teams' uh, top players. You've seen him. You know, last year, I think some of his best games was when he was marched, uh, matched up against an Ovechkin or against a Kucherov. Like, he really excelled in those situations there. So, But we've had those conversations, and we will continue to have. Like, his energy level at the end of the games, when you have him more in the lower 20s, it just gives him that extra little bit versus playing 25 27 minutes Jason Bottrell I mean he's making sense if if you set up a situation where the Sabres cannot have a trade done by the start of the year for Ristolainen which you know you learn your lessons over the course I think of a job and one that Bottrell should have learned from was they rushed into that O'Reilly trade it was July 1st they did not have to make that trade right then and there and You should never feel like you have to trade a guy when they are under contract. Now, it's different if a guy has an expiring deal and he says, I'm not going to sign with you or I'm going to take it to free agency. That's different. But when you have a guy under contract that's at least a a certain amount of good, you should never feel like you're in a spot where you have to trade him. And it's felt like the Sabres got to that point with O'Reilly, and obviously we're sitting here today, and that's one of the worst trades that we've seen for the Sabres in decades. Right? Maybe ever. At this very moment, they have almost nothing to show for the Conn Smythe and Selkie winner and Stanley Cup champion. Like, they have almost nothing to show for that player. And Ristolainen is not near as good as O'Reilly, but I could see why you wouldn't want to fall into the same trap. And here is Ristolainen. He's pulling an O'Reilly. He's he's taking a move from him. And maybe he texted Ryan O'Reilly and said, hey, I gotta get out of here. How'd you do it? Say, hey, I don't know if you listen to uh, to callers and stuff or if you listen to the fans on social media. You want to know what gets them fired up? You know what wants them get get put some pressure on the on the team to get you out of there? Say that you've lost your love for the game or something along those lines. And here's Ristolainen telling a finished site uh, via translation, essentially, that he doesn't enjoy he hasn't enjoyed the game the past few years, which, you know, really when you boil it down, and I felt this way about the O'Reilly thing. When you boil it down, of course they haven't enjoyed it. What do you expect? You think any of them have enjoyed finishing in last how many times? Especially Ristolainen, who's been here for all of it. Of course they haven't enjoyed it. How would it be fun to be an important player on a team that always sucks? So, don't take it too hard. Maybe he is just trying to get it moved. Maybe he wants a fresh start. But, to me... If you don't find the right package out there, and as it stands, that's hard to do when the RFA market is so tied up at a standstill that these teams are incapable of making moves because they don't know what their cap's going to look like. I'm talking about Winnipeg, who we've talked about repeatedly about a Ristolainen trade with. And they don't know what they're going to be paying Kyle Connor yet or Patrick Laine. So that kind of stops them from making a move. Calgary today, they're reportedly looking to make moves on the blue line. Maybe they could want Ristolainen, but can they do a big thing like that yet? They don't know what they're going to be paying Matthew Kachuk. Or maybe Sam Bennett might be an RFA too, but Kachuk's definitely a free uh, RFA, and that's going to be a big contract. So, I don't know what's holding up that market. It's probably Marner, but I can't imagine that none of that gets done if Marner doesn't get signed. Because... He could very well look at what happened with Willie Nylander last year in Toronto. 
where he sat out a couple of months into the season, and he eventually got what he wanted. He eventually got the contract he wanted. And Marner could be thinking to himself, hey, if I want $10 million bucks, I'm going to have to sit out a couple months. I'm going to have to really put the pressure on the team. Well, if that's what's holding up everyone else, <laughs> all those players are not going to be sitting out. Maybe, maybe a couple will, but... Like Winnipeg with Line A and Connor, they're not both sitting out games. So eventually, that dam is going to break, and that'll open everything up. That maybe everything's held up by threefold. Who knows? The Sabers might be waiting to announce a Jake Gardner contract for all we know, but they're waiting for a Ristolainen trade to happen. And for a Ristolainen trade to happen, they have to wait for Line A to get signed and Connor to get signed. And for those guys to get signed, we have to wait for Mitch Marner to get signed. So there could be this giant domino effect. If whatever is holding up this dam right now, whatever that is, gets settled, then the rest might just flow right after it. Maybe. I'm hoping that happens. That's that's action, that's fun, and that's a move that I've never, until really the Sabres made these moves with the blue liners, with Colin Miller, and obviously Montour at the deadline, and Yoki Haru. They're at a point now where I don't just... I'm not just intrigued by the idea of Ristolainen. I think you kind of have to do it. Because of the contract, because of your depth on the blue line, you just don't need him anymore. And I still am curious to see what he looks like in his second pair role, but not in the name of benching some of these other good young players that are also on the right side of the blue line, like Montour, like Miller, and like Yoki Haru. Uh, Miller's not that young, by the way, but I know that, but the other two are. All right, we'll talk a little more about Ristolainen and... You know, some other stuff the Sabres could do with him that might not come right to mind. Um, That could be, yeah, I'll explain in the next segment. Lineup stuff, ways of using him that they haven't really in the past. And then we'll uh, we'll switch back into football, of course, uh, with the Bills. Uh, Haven't talked to any Bills yet. Devin Singletary. I can't stop talking about this guy. I think he's going to be a stud. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. Yep. Welcome back. Second hour of the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. We talked to Antonio Brown, little Ristolainen. I'd like to talk a little more Ristolainen before uh, the end of this segment. Before I do that, though, I mean, Tom Brady today. It, it, it seems like a yearly occurrence. At least once a summer, we get a stupid soundbite of Tom Brady making us all want to, you know... Not do very nice things to ourselves. Today was that day. 
a lot of time and energy to prepare myself and my body to play. So I love it. I love doing that. And I think that's why I've been very fortunate to be able to play as long as I have. But, you know, again, it's a physical sport. There's no certainties. I've had long-term goals, you know, and I've said 45 for a long time, and I hope I can make it there. I'm close. You know, I'm just going to take it and see, reevaluate after the year and see how I feel. And, and uh, you know, hopefully I can just keep doing it. Now, can I hold him to that? Like, I almost want to make a pact with Tom Brady. Like, all right, at this point, you're 42. What's another two years? But once you hit 45, it's over. A hard deadline. I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you throw for 5,000 yards when you are a 45-year-old man. That's it. You're hanging him up. I might I might sign that today with him. That's crazy. There is a bit of decline. We're having a lot of smart guests on recently. Warren Sharp, Aaron Schatz. Um, who was the other one more recently? I think Andy Benoit today on... Uh, on One Bills Live, was t- we're talking about, all right, there is a subtle decline. And what Aaron Schatz said on Friday, I know a lot of people don't like Aaron Schatz around here because he he kind of doesn't really, he's very frank about his predictions. He's very frank about it. He doesn't, really, he doesn't really butter you up before he gives you the bad news. And he said on Friday that he thinks there is decline, and we've seen there has been decline in Brady, but you're not going to see it this year. It's going to be hidden by the fact that New England has the easiest schedule in the NFL. That just might be how it is. And that might reinforce the idea in Brady's mind that, hey, I can still do this. Because he's playing, you know, the NFC East, like the Bills are. But when you're going to be beating up on those teams, he's probably going to feel pretty good about himself. Little false, uh, little false hope there, maybe, that he thinks he could get to 45. I think he can get to 45. Let's see, 42. Now, what does that mean, though, also? Is he going to stop before he gets to 45? Like, I turn 45, it's over. Or do you play through the age of 45? That's a big differential because, let's see, 42 this year, then 43, 44. I mean, if he's talking about playing through 45, that's four more seasons. I'm not signing up for that. Could you imagine four more seasons? Like, Josh Allen's 30th birthday is coming up, and Tom Brady is still playing football. Never ends. It never ends. Last year, his stats, you saw a little bit of decline. A little bit. He still threw for over 4,000 yards. It was the least he's thrown in five years in a full season. 29 touchdowns. That was the least since 2013. 11 picks. That was the most since 2013. It's amazing when you look at his stats, though, that like the last five years are better than his first eight. So he has gotten better with age. But the arm strength might be a little bit questionable and how consistent it can be, especially in the later months. And honestly, not having the best tight end who's ever played football is going to hurt. How can it not hurt? It has to a little. A little? Who's that bailout guy for him now? You, It's usually Edelman or Gronk. Half of that's gone. Edelman has shown to, you know, have some questionable availability at times. He gets suspended or he gets injured. So, it's Edelman and who? He needs to have some weapons. Even, I remember there was that one year, which was a couple years ago, when he had, like, Kemperl Tompkins was starting a receiver. And, like, he just had no semblance of a wide receiver. Maybe Edelman was suspended for that or something. And he had Gronk, and that was about it. 
And he kind of struggled. At least by Tom Brady standards. So maybe this year could be another version of that. Now, that's going to be dependent pretty much on if Nikhil Harry, their first-round pick, is going to be able to show up and play pretty well right away. Now, he's a late first-round pick, and if you look at Belichick's track record of drafting drafting receivers, especially early, he's not very good at it. He drafted Aaron Dobson in the first round, which was not good. There was another second-round pick in there who didn't end up doing anything. So, one can hope that they're not going to have the year that uh, makes the AFC East an automatic but hard to think it's not going to happen. I'm about there, though. I'm about there. Like, I have them winning the division at, like, 10-6. and six. And if you ask me, the Bills and the Jets are going to be pretty close to that. I think I'd have the Bills and the Jets both at 8 wins right now. And I think I have New England at about 10. So I still have them winning the, the division and even by a couple of games. But maybe this year we get to Week 13 and it's, it's, still, it's still available. Um, so there's that. Now I want a little bit of an awkward transition here, but I did want to get back into Bristol Line in just a little bit before the end of the segment, and him pulling an O'Reilly. Really, the one point, the one overall point, I just really want to make about it is him saying that and him wanting. If even if he does, he might not want to be out of here, but it sounds like he might. If he does want out. That shouldn't be what decides if he's traded. It shouldn't be. I kind of want him traded. I'm not all the way there, but I'm almost all the way there on wanting him traded. It should be hockey reasons only. If O'Reilly and his comments and all of that had anything to do with him being traded, that's a bad job. And there's no way you can do that again. If you're trading him, Trade him because you think you can get something valuable for him and you think you don't need him on your blue line. They really don't need him on their blue line, but I'm still looking at it and thinking, he'd still help. He'd still be in my top six. Someone's probably going to play their offside if that happens because you got a bunch of righties, but he's one of my six best defensemen right now. And for years and years and years, he's been played in a role that he should not have been in. So what does he actually look like playing lesser minutes. That curiosity still exists with me. Now, I wouldn't value it to the same level I would value, you know, there's some Nugent Hopkins uh, chatter in Edmonton today. Just fans, nothing reported. But, like, if I can do that, he's always the name we bring up for this. Maybe we got we might have to come up with another name because I'm not sure he's going to be traded. But Nugent Hopkins is always the guy. He's a good example. He is a definite second-line center that is too good for your third line, and you probably don't want on your first line. So he's like a perfect second-line center for that role. And if I can get that level of player, I would still value that above Ristolainen playing at his best in a lower role. That's kind of my same logic with why I want to see Reinhardt down the middle. Is Reinhardt down the middle best for him? It's probably not. He's developed into a very good winger. Very good. For the team, it might be better suited for them to play center because right now he's their second best guy who could play center. He is. He'd take probably a bit of a hit on his stats, but he is the second best player on this team that has played down the middle. And he did it for his entire life before he got to the NHL. So, hard for me to think he lost all of that. Same logic there. I'm valuing what's best for the team over what's best for the individual. 
But in Ristolainen's case, if you can't do what's best for the team, which would be trading him to get that second-line center, then maybe you do do what's best for the individual. And that would be playing on Lawrence Pilot's wing, or uh, being Lawrence Pilot's partner, and playing 19 minutes a night. Because they're not only at a point now, with the amount of defensemen they have, for him to not play 25 minutes, they don't really even need him to play 20. I wouldn't have him all the way down, like, remember Nathan Beaulieu, like, when he was playing uh, not a lot of minutes last year? It's like 13, 14, 15. I'm not, I'm not having Ristolainen down there. But I'm certainly in a spot where I can get him down to 18 or 19 even if I want. Miller will eat some minutes. Montour is going to eat minutes. McCabe is still here. It's amazing how many defensemen. Dowlene with a big jump, especially on the power play. I like Yoki Haru as an idea to be on this team right away. Pilot. Casey Nelson I haven't even mentioned. Bogosian I haven't mentioned. I'm kind of hoping he's not going to be on this team, though. I hope he's traded. Scandella, same thing. Someone's got to go. That's the thing. Someone's got to go. It doesn't have to be Ristolainen, but he will continue to be the one who makes the most sense. And if he doesn't go... That's a tough one. It's tough to pick out that second name. I would want to go straight to Bogosian or Scandella, but the problem with them is I don't know if you can even move them. I want to believe you can because now we're at a point where both guys have one year left on their contracts, so that makes the contracts easier to eat on from an, for another team's perspective. But I don't think it's a guarantee that you can find a team to do that. Maybe Ottawa. Ottawa's got to get a lot of cap. So maybe they do it. One of those... Teams that's trying to meet the floor. If How many are left? Are the Coyotes still trying to do that? Call them up. See. But past that, I don't know if Casey Nelson provides enough value to be traded. You're not moving Hunwick. You had to take him on as a favor to get Connor Sherry. You could move McCabe. That continues to be the guy I get to right away after Ristolainen because he will give you value. Not a ton, you're not getting a second-line center, I don't think. But you can get a good player, productive player. Maybe a guy who scored 20 goals. Maybe a slightly better version of a player than what you got for in, uh, in Jimmy VC. Like another one of those guys. That could happen. And then anything else, I just don't think you're getting anything worth it. But someone's got to go. They have a 1,000 defensemen. And after this weekend, it's hard to not think that uh, it's hard to not think that Risto is still going to be the guy, still be the guy to go. All right, eight hundred three hundred five fifty is the phone number if you want to get any more thoughts in. Um, Brad Gagnon from Bleacher Report was on today with One Bills Live. Some good stuff from him. We'll get into that a little bit later. Devin Singletary, he mentions he had a couple of rookies that. In his, he had one, he had an article in Bleacher Report, the rookies that impressed the most week one of the preseason. He had two bills on there. Ed Oliver, Devin Singletary. He gives some really good analysis on both. As you know, I'm a big Devin Singletary guy. If you listen to the show at all, I want to see him playing. And that was reinforced on Thursday when he looked really good. That third and one, second and one run where he finds the hole that was not yet open, but he had the vision to see it was about to be open. He hits it. And then he makes that spin move on the middle linebacker. Puts the guy on the ground. 
There's there is some star power in there in that running back. Might be fantasy star power, but I think if he gets the opportunity, he's going to be a stud for the Bills. All right, we'll hear a little from Brett Gagnon as we continue. Watch your Bills calls at 803-0550. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Thanks for listening here on WGR. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.